So Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us from your word, that you shape us through your word, and that you form us in your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Good to have all of you here. How many of you had snow this morning? Oh, not many of you. Okay, no snow down here. I was disappointed. I was like, yeah, snow. Um, and we, did we introduce Scott? Okay, so it's great to have you here, Scott. And those of you watching at home, uh, thank you for joining us. My oldest daughter is a senior in high school. Like, how did that happen? Uh, which means that she is applying to some universities, and one of them is Stanford, not because she thinks she's uh, particularly going to get in or even wants to go there, but because my wife and I both went to graduate school there, which makes her a legacy kid, and they treat legacy kids differently. You don't get spit out in the first round, you get spit out in the second round. So. <laughs> And I have her permission to tell this story. <clears throat> this week, we got a letter from Stanford addressed not to my daughter, but to my wife and to me. Dear Dr. and Mrs. Dudley, uh-uh. we are delighted that Holly has chosen to apply to your alma mater. As you know, family relationships have played an important role at Stanford ever since Leland and Jane Stanford founded the university in honor of their son. Do you sense there's a giant however looming? <laughs> however... We also strive to invite new members into the Stanford family, and your family connection is one of many aspects we will consider. We know that waiting to hear from universities is stressful. We hope this letter lessens that stress. No, it doesn't. It doesn't lessen it one little bit, right? We weren't stressed until we got the letter. And then they include this FAQ sheet, and the first question was, is, is admission to Stanford more competitive than when I went? Answer, yes. Second question, how are legacy applications read? Answer, in a, quote, holistic review process. Holistic. Hmm. In other words, your special little snowflake doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting in here. <laughs> but we're still hoping that as alumni, we can ask you for money anyway. It's the opposite of when a credit card company pre-approves you. We've been pre-rejected, <laughs> right? Like they're trying to soften the blow, right? And isn't it interesting, they send that letter to parents, not students, because they have learned that it is the parents' anxieties they have to manage, not the students. Isn't that interesting? Well, those parents did not read the text that we just read that says that like a potter working with clay, God is always at work to shape us, which means we do not need to be stressed about our future, at, or our kids' future even, as Stanford parents apparently are. For three reasons, we can be confident. First, God's not done with us yet. Let me ask, is anyone here ever get judgmental or, or gossip or bend the truth a little to make yourself look better or, or hold a grudge? Like if, if any of those apply to the person next to you, would you raise your hands, please? <laughs> yeah, they are a mess, aren't they, man? I'm, I'm glad they're in church today. Yeah. None of us are really who we want to be. But God is always at work forming us. He's not done. Second, we're confident because God uses everything in our lives, good and bad, to accomplish his purposes. Nothing is wasted. And third, the third promise is we're confident because God's purposes in our lives cannot be stopped. You know, we often stress about the future. If I don't get this or that job, this or that relationship, into this or that college, my life is ruined. No, no, there are a shocking number of people who don't get into Stanford and are happy, right? 
We can be confident because like a potter, God is always at work shaping us to his good purposes. However, if you have ever seen a potter at work, it doesn't always look like it's pleasant for the clay, does it? So I actually want everyone to have this image in their mind. So I actually brought a little video that kind of demonstrates the point. So first, the potter has to kind of knead the clay to kind of soften it up. Doesn't that look fun? And then you're put on this spinning wheel and the potter kind of pushes you up and pushes you down and pushes in the center to open the clay up to create, um, you know, to make a pot, digs his finger into the side to kind of create design. I mean, it all looks kind of unpleasant, but in the end, you get something that is both beautiful and useful. So I want to walk through these verses just to kind of understand this metaphor for a little bit more. And I'm going to read it in a personal application way, which is fine, but also bear in mind this is written to an entire community. And as a reminder that God forms us individually as well as collectively and corporately. So God says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's home and there I will give you my message. Right there is hope. Because see, in Jeremiah's time, pottery wasn't just these decorations that you go to Pottery Barn to buy, right? And it's not even a barn, right? It, it wasn't art. It was, well, it was beautiful, but it was also, also very ordinary, very common. They're, they used it all the time. So to say to go to the potter's house, that's just kind of an ordinary place. That'd be as if God said, go to the gas station. I'm going to have a word for you there. Right? God doesn't just shape us in special holy places like church or retreat or something like that. God is always shaping us even through the most ordinary, common moments of our life. God is always there at work if we just have eyes to see what he's doing. So Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. So let's talk about that wheel for a little bit. Because the wheel is kind of a great metaphor for all the revolving circumstances of our lives that sometimes make us feel like we're spinning out of control. But it's all those circumstances, job, relationships, applying to college, you know, discussions with spouses or friends. Each of those circumstances brings us again and again under the potter's hand as he shapes us. He uses the circumstances to mold us, the revolving circumstances of our lives. So, for instance, applying for college is a great way to learn to trust God with our future. We are shaped in the spin. We are shaped in the spin. It's the spin that of the, the events of our lives that mold us and shape us. And it's not the spin of a hamster wheel, right, where you go round and round and round and you don't get anywhere. No, God uses all these circumstances to mold us he uses the hard things, and God doesn't usually send hard things into our life. They just happen as a result of living in a broken world. Although, parenthetically, occasionally, if we are on a destructive path, as Israel is in this text, oppressing the poor, oppressing immigrants, oppressing the marginalized, sacrificing their children to pagan gods, and after a long time, if God will try many things, he'll touch our mind, he'll touch our heart, he'll touch our conscience, he'll send other people into our lives to warn us. But sometimes as a last resort for our own good, God may touch our circumstances because he does not want us to continue on a destructive path because he loves us too much for that. But most of the time, the hard things, God doesn't send them most of the time, but he does use them as tools to shape us to be the people we're designed to be. But God also uses the good things in our life, the successes, the victories, the relationships. He uses good and bad and everything in between. One of the things that separates Christianity from other philosophies is this theological word called telos, 
right, which means end or purpose. And unlike in other philosophies where the universe is just this endless repetitive cycle, birth, death, birth, death, season by season, year by year, Christianity says, no, God is taking this universe to a destination, his good, right, and just destination when earth and heaven become one. There's a telos. Well, there's also a telos in your life. It's not just round and round she goes and where she stops, nobody knows. There's an end purpose that God is taking us to. So Jeremiah goes on. He says, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Well, it doesn't say how it got marred. It just got marred, right? Because, because we get marred and we get scarred by life. People hurt us. We hurt other people. We face disappointments. But look at what's next. So the potter formed it into another pot. Right? He doesn't just go with this stupid clay and throw it away, which is what I would do, right? I just get frustrated. And like, well, I, who wants to do pottery anyway, right? He doesn't do that. The reason he doesn't throw it away is because, see, he's already invested a lot in making that clay usable. He had to dig it out of the ground. He had to soak it in water to soften it up. He had to knead it. All of that can take months. So he's going to be patient with it. In the same way Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, he just doesn't throw us out when we get marred. What God saves, God keeps forever. What God saves, God keeps forever. Which means he will, he will never give up. He will never give up. He will never give up on you or on me. Back in November, Wall Street Journal did an article on a woman who's 108 years old. And she has been a Cubs fan her entire life. So she was born in 1908, the last year that the Cubs won the World Series. So when they won this fall, she finally got to celebrate. And she watched all the games with her family, including her 80-year-old grandson. Just think about that, right? Like, that's just weird, right? Like, uh, 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 that's patience, right? Okay, God is a Cubs fan. He will be patient with you. In this text, he has been warning Israel of their uh, uh, consequences of their injustice for centuries. He's patient. And I like the way that King James translates these verses. It says, so he made it again another vessel. It's this awkward grammar that actually mimics, mirrors the Hebrew grammar. And the it refers to the clay, but he makes it again another. That is, it's the clay, but it's different. Just as Jesus makes us, still us, but new people. It's me, but it's not me. He's wearing my clothes, but he doesn't have my attitude. They call me by the same name, but I'm not the same guy. And I don't even know when it happened because he did it in the spin. I recently read about a man named Chris who was an architect and ended up going blind because of an eye disease. And it seemed that his career as an architect was over. But he kept praying about this and God eventually led him to a blind computer scientist who had done a computer program that allows people to walk through architectural plans with their fingers. So his blindness gives him this unique way to observe, quote, interior space. And his boss said, I thought the blindness would be a limitation, but I realized the way Chris reads drawings is the way that we experience space. And he uses his fingers to walk through a space, which means that he can envision possibilities for that space that no one else can. His limitation became a strength, not just for him, but for his whole community. When the clay gets marred through the tragedies of life, God still is at work using those very hard things to continue to shape us and mold us. And what's even better news is even our screw-ups, like even our mistakes, even the stupid things we do, God can even use those and kind of reshape us and reclaim us. 
Someone sent me a story about two men who were talking about where they came from, and one man said, I grew up in Toronto, land of beautiful hockey teams and homely women. And the other man goes, hey, my wife is from Toronto. Right? The first guy said, and what hockey team did she play for? <laughs> See how fast he refashioned his mistake, right? God can do the same thing, even with our screw-ups. Now, as you saw in the video, that process, that, that process can hurt. Right? It can be painful. The potter will dig his fingers into the side to carve in designs into the pot. In the same way, God uses the circumstances of our lives to carve his character, his personality, his design on our souls. The potter pushes the clay to open it up so it can be a pot. Just like God uses the circumstances of our lives to kind of open up our hearts. As I've shared with you before, my divorce taught me a lot about how to be compassionate. I became a much more compassionate person through that. God didn't cause my divorce, but he used it to open my heart. Before he uses the clay, the potter takes a mallet and, and pounds it to get rid of air bubbles because otherwise those bubbles will form air pockets and will weaken the walls of the pot when it dries. So the potter pounds those bubbles out to make the pot stronger. You so get the metaphor, right? God uses the tough stuff in our life to pound weakness out of us. A couple of summers ago, my family and I were in eastern Washington visiting my parents, and we were in a park, and my kids were complaining about how hot it was. And I was with the kids, just to go on record. I was thinking, yeah, let's find some air conditioning, because this is miserable. And right as I was about to say that, my wife turned to my kids and said, you are descended from a great-grandmother who hauled her family out of homelessness and grandparents who fled communist China. You are made of sterner stuff than this. Buck up. <laughs> like, whoa, right? Like, and they looked kind of stunned, but, but then they stood a little taller and they stopped complaining. It was a verbal mallet pounding their weakness out of them, right? And also me, because after that, I wasn't going to complain about anything. <laughs> Rise up, my pampered Belvusian children. You are descended from the blood of, well, peasants, but, but, but sturdy peasants, right? A little pressure here, a little pressure there, and the clay becomes something beautiful and useful, and it's the pressure that does it. The pressure of life, of school, of work, of parenting, of marriage, you name it. So Jeremiah goes on and he says this. So he made it again, another pot, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Oh, I don't like that verse. Because what it means is that God is in charge, I am not. And shockingly, he does not ask my opinion. The prophet Isaiah says, does the, potter say to the, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Actually, I do all the time. What are you doing, right? No, 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 this way, God, not that way. Uh, I'm a better potter than you, right? And that's okay, but here's the deal. You kind of got to know that God sees your future and you don't, so he knows what experiences you're going to need to prepare you for that future. And I've shared with you before some of the ways that God prepared me in weird, funky ways. My first job in high school, I've shared this with you before, was at this place called Farrell's, right? If you're my age, you kind of remember this place where I had to do all these announcements in the whole restaurant, you know, get people to sing happy birthday to someone, kiss girls on their 16th birthday. That part was okay. Wow, you wouldn't do that today though, right? Like no way. And then I had to, I had to, I had to do this announcement. If someone ate this thing called a pig trough, I had to get the entire restaurant to oink at them, right? Okay, that was was great prep to be a pastor, <laughs> right? Because it taught me how to kind of have an upfront, 
ability, right? I mean, I didn't know that God, I wasn't even a Christian at the time. I didn't know God was shaping me for that. But there he was, using that funky, weird little job. My first job out of college, I worked as an intern in a college ministry. And some people in this room even remember me back then. And I was not good clay. No, I wasn't listening. I wasn't open. I wasn't learning because I was just kind of resistant because I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a professor. So I felt like I wasted that entire year. But 12 years later, when I was a college pastor and nothing I was doing was working, I remembered how the man I worked for did ministry and I started doing all the stuff that he did and it worked. Right? When I tried those things 12 years later, they worked. Now, I, I thought that year was a waste, but God knew that 12 years later, I would need what that year taught me. Do you trust that God sees what's up ahead? And he is using the events of your life, even the hard things which he did not cause, but which he can use to prepare you for the future that he has in store for you. And part of that future is preparing you for eternity. Which brings me to one last observation about the potter. And this is maybe the most important. The potter never takes his hands off the clay. The potter's hands never leave the clay. And this is an image that goes all the way back to Genesis, where God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground with his hands. God never takes his hand off your life or off mine, which means God's purposes in our lives cannot be stopped, not by our screw-ups, not if we lose a job, not if we don't get into the college we want, not because of a health reason, not if there's a recession. God's purposes in your life cannot be stopped, and his hands will never leave your side. So that's the potter. What about the clay? What's the clay's job in all of this? Okay, and a couple of things, and I invite you to pick one of these things as your homework for, for this week. First, our job is to stay soft and moldable. As the potter works, he or she will keep putting water on the clay to keep it soft because otherwise it can't be molded. And God can shape us unless we get hard and brittle. And the way we stay soft, there's a lot of things that help us stay moldable. It's through prayer. One of my frequent prayers is, God, soften my heart so that you can shape me, so that I'm not hard toward you. Worship opens my heart in music and, and being in community opens my heart. Other people can keep you moldable by encouraging you, but also by challenging you. One of the disciplines that I have laid on myself is that when I get criticism, no matter how unkind, and even if it seems untrue, I will pray over that criticism, Jesus, help me to see the truth that I need to see in this criticism. And I often, almost always, see all the grains of truth, even in the most unkind of criticisms. And that keeps me moldable. Instead of getting bitter and hard because of the criticism, it keeps me moldable. Another prayer I pray all the time is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Injustice, poverty, racism, loneliness. God, break my heart so I care about those things as much as you care about those things. So maybe this week you could pray some prayers around staying moldable. Second role of the clay is to trust that the potter knows his craft. And one of the things the potter has to do right at the beginning is center the clay on the wheel. And the clay actually fights it. So the potter leans their body into the clay to keep it on in the center. And the potter keeps that pressure on the clay until the clay stops fighting. So this week, one of my friends told me you know, that this week that there's some sins in his life that he knows he needs to deal with. And he hasn't quite yet, but he's going to deal with these sins. But he still has all this good stuff going on in his life. And he said, if this is how great things are now, imagine how good they'd be if I stopped fighting God. Indeed. So one of the things I try to do is to praise God in the spin. 
I don't always praise God for the spin. I don't praise God for the hard things, but I'll praise God in the spin. I'll say, Lord, I know you're going to use this pressure, this problem, this issue to make me more like you, to shape me and to mold me. So God, I praise you in the spin. And I actually, it actually feels good to do that. Third roll of the clay, remember, no two pots are the same. Because sometimes we get kind of jealous, right? Like, hey, that pot has a cooler design than my design. Hey, that pot has a better handle than the handle I've got. That pot carries more water than I. I mean, how come I can't be that pot? I want to be this pot. I don't like the pot I am. I like that pot over there. I want to be that pot, God. Well, you know, here's the thing. You are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. And there's something God has you to do. There are many things God has you to do that only you can do best. If the potter wanted identical pots, he would have set up a die or a mold. But when you do it by hand, no two pots come out the same. I have a friend who's very tall, and so growing up, people will always say to him, oh, you're tall, do you play basketball? And he didn't play basketball, and he got really sick of answering that question. So, so when people would say, you're tall, do you play basketball? He'd say, no, do you play miniature golf? which I thought was just pretty clever, right? <laughs> Quick-witted and all, right? Not all tall people are the same. Not all pots are the same. You are a unique, unrepeatable miracle of God. So ask God to show you your design and live into it. And then last, know that all this shaping and all this molding isn't just for you and for your sake. God is making you useful in his rescue mission to help others to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to, to push back on racism and oppression, to help people who are lonely, to help people who are hurting. God isn't just doing all this shaping just for you. He's doing it for the sake of the world. You know, pottery in Jeremiah's time was, was both beautiful and useful. In fact, pottery, without pottery, there could be no civilization. Because pottery allowed people to store seed and allowed them to store food, which meant that there could, which meant agriculture was possible, which meant that civilization was possible. God is shaping you not just for your sake, but for the sake of the world. So what's the spin that you're in? And how might God be using it to mold you and prepare you for your future? If you can't see it, maybe ask God to give you eyes to see what he's doing and to know that he is making you a unique and unrepeatable person. Right? And, and, and to follow him and to trust that the potter's hands never leave the clay, even in the spin, he knows what he's doing. When my uh, lifelong mentor Steve was dying of cancer, and I've shared parts of that journey with you before, he and his family kept a blog about how God was part of that journey for them. And it's been turned into a book called Joy in the Journey. And even just the title says so much, Joy in the Journey. And in one of the entries, his wife wrote this. She wrote, the Bible says there's a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die. And I've been pondering what time it is, this time of waiting, watching, wondering as we walk with Steve through the final weeks of his life. I'm aware that this is a calling and I pray that I can be faithful. It's a time for laughter and tears. We laughed a lot with our children and grandchildren and good friends this past weekend, even as we shed many tears. It's a time of saying yes to kind offers of help and food. And it's a time of saying no to things that are not life-giving. There's not enough time to act out of obligation or merely to please others. And often I say no to the very things that might bring relief and yes to the things that distract. How easy it is to mix these up. It's a time to learn not to do that. This is a time for grace with each other and ourselves when our brokenness keeps popping up. It's a time to live in the all-sufficient grace of Jesus 
It's a time for gratitude because even in the worst of times, there is always something for which to be thankful. And today I'm thankful for an amazing hospice doctor who explains what's going on medically, but also asks about our emotional and our spiritual journeys. I'm grateful for emails and texts from so many who have felt nudged to pray for us. This is a rich reminder that we are not alone and that God is always at work. I would never have guessed that this process of death would be so life-giving. I would never have guessed this process of death would be so life-giving, not only for us, but also for many of you as we stand together on holy ground and peek around the corner at the future that God has laid out for us. What time is it? It's a time for grief, but also a time for gratitude. As one friend says, grief and gratitude mixed together create joy. How true that is. She was in the spin, but aware of God's hand shaping her and Steve through the entire process, teaching them to say no to things they might have otherwise felt obligated to say yes to, teaching them to show grace toward one another, to accept help from others, and to find gratitude even in their grief, and experience God's presence in all of it as God shapes them and molds them and makes them useful to his rescue mission to the world. I learned so much by watching them go through that. My entire life, Steve taught me how to live, and then he taught me how to die. God made them useful for the sake of the world. They were shaped in the spin, and they came away knowing that the potter's hands are always on the clay. In the New Testament, we get an interesting PS to this image of the potter, where Judas brings back the money the religious leaders had paid him to betray Jesus. And the text says, so they use the money, or the, the religious leaders say it's not right to give this back to the, the temple, so we need to do something else with it. It's blood money. So the text says, so they use the money to buy a potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it is called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him, and used it to buy the potter's field. In other words, in this image of the potter that we read in this chapter and the chapter that follows it, Jeremiah is ultimately predicting Jesus 500 years before his birth. And it tells us that if you watch this potter carefully at work in your life, you will find that the hands that never leave you have nail prints in them. And it is through the blood of the potter himself that you are being shaped into who he created you to be. And his hands are scarred for your sake and for mine as proof of his love for you and as a guarantee that he will never remove his hands from your life, which means nothing can separate you from him. Nothing in heaven and nothing on earth and nothing below the earth. Not angels, not demons, not powers, not principalities, not peril, famine, nakedness, or the sword. There is nothing that can separate God from you. And God is good. He is good all the time. All the time is good. And his purposes are good. And they cannot be stopped because the potter never leaves your side. So Jesus, may it be. You are the potter, we are the clay, and Lord, we say, shape away. Mold us, shape us, break us if you have to, and reform us and remold us again. Jesus, we give our lives to you, and we ask that you shape us in the spin, starting as we leave today, even in the parking lot. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.